0: Ah, not sponsored, by the way, at all. Welcome to Eat the Blank Page, episode 13. Feeling like it's going to be a good one this time. If you aren't watching on YouTube, we actually have video this time that I'm going to use. I know a few episodes ago, I talked a lot about how this video was so cool and it was so nice to be able to just look at you guys and, you know, gesture with my hands and such because I am violently italian I, I i need to talk with my hands to really emphasize some certain points but more than anything else the video aspect was not part of anything that i had actually posted because i decided not to <laughs> everything about it was just off the lighting was off the setup was off my desk was a mess It it was a whole thing but Hello, you can actually see my face if you don't follow me on TikTok. I don't know how you found this video or this podcast on Spotify. Don't have enough followers to just kind of make some appear out of the blue. Also, if you're uncomfy by me not wearing headphones, like every other content creator out there, it's because I don't need them with my current setup. Uh, That is a, that is something that I realize is bad there's a reason that they do, right, I just don't, I just don't know it, I, re- I got into Yu-Gi-Oh recently, and every time I rank up in Yu-Gi-Oh, like Duel Links, like on the phone, every time I rank up, I, I learn about a new aspect that I was like, oh, that's stupid, pendulum settings are stupid, and card effects are dumb, who needs some, who needs spell and trap cards, right, but every time I ranked up, I realized that there was a whole aspect that I wasn't utilizing that the next rank, if I wanted to do good, I would need to actually utilize. I see that as what the headphones are because it kind of represents a whole aspect of the production that I'm not familiar with yet. And there's just a lot that I need to actually, you know, get exposed to. But that's for a later time, not for today. But yeah, needless, uh, needless bullshit out of the way. I wanted to kind of revamp what I talk about on the podcast in general because it is for writers and storytellers and just people who like writing, if you want to get specific with it. But there's a few key properties or stories or games or whatever you want to call it that really started my journey out as writer and someone who appreciates stories and stuff none other or should I say none the least of which is Five Nights at Freddy's FNAF and me saying that I'm I'm really harking on myself about being super like cringy or I feel like I'm talking about some kid stuff but in a lot of ways it is because the first games if you haven't seen the Five Nights at Freddy's movies and you suck around at the games or all you know are the games and you didn't see the movie or whatever. I watched it opening day. It was a lot of fun. But there's a lot of different ways to tell a story. Right? It's an art form. And while there are a lot of layouts and certain rules or just good general ways to go about getting through narrative explaining characters, details, and showing the consumer of whatever product you're giving out, whether it be a movie or a song or a video, there's, there's ways to do it. And video games are the most immersive version of those types of content where you can go and you can watch Something happening on a screen. You can physically be controlling what's happening. And the decisions lead you to certain outcomes. Where you can have multi-branching games. That are really looking at that one narrative. Because I feel like a lot of different types of video games. Will go all in. All in. On a certain type of. Or a certain aspect of how video games tell stories and one of the biggest things in video games are multiplayer experiences where your individual skill determines whether you win whether you lose in story missions you can get certain gradings or like hey you did uh rank b on this mission you got a rank s on this mission however there is a certain genre of video game that gleans a lot from that user input where a lot of other games like storytelling games games that are basically movies asura's wrath being one of them or asura's or however you say it they really go in on the visuals and the cinematics of it the story of it is the main point however horror games can be the most Precise uses of pacing, user input, the feelings of security, how they can creatively control the map itself that it's based on. If it's a 3D game, 2D game, how the user interacts with the AIs in the game, the requirements for a game. So you take a game like Slenderman, 3D survival horror game, right? Survival horror came... Um, a little bit ago, but you see things in Resident Evil where you can kind of defend yourself using ammunition, guns, weapons, you can fight back. And a big part of a lot of video games is that use of guns and fighting back and defending yourself. But for survivor ho- survival horror, it's one of the keystones of what makes that game good and what makes that game bad. Now, when Five Nights at Freddy's came out, it flipped this narrative that you needed to be able to fight back. Not that you needed to, but in a genre at the time, uh, this might have been my seventh grade year, so I'm thinking, let let me look it up. Let me look it up. August 8th, 2014. This is, this is The rise of Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, PewDiePie. These are the early gaming YouTube channels that are taking off where everyone's yelling and everyone has dyed hair. This is the prime time for a game like FNAF to come out because it gave itself a mechanic by removing a mechanic. It was very, very tricky how it did it. In most horror games, you walk around. I'm thinking Amnesia The Dark Descent, if you want to get periodical to the time you would compare it to an image of the dark descent because you're walking around you're discovering things you're going into new areas you're running away from things you're battling things you're doing stuff snap didn't let you do that you are sat down in a room you you can check cameras and you can shut doors that's it you have to manage resources through your your battery your electrical your power and with that that's the game so you're able to influence your environment to such a small degree you can't even move around you're stuck you are not the one going around the monsters the animatronics are the ones coming to you that's what made the game initially horrifying now it did utilize jump scares more than anything else but that was only for the sting moment. That was it. Was it? It's almost like a game that was built for let's players because you have this creepy atmosphere. You have the unique atmosphere of an animatronic horror game, which is now not unique at all, at all. But at the time, it was like, oh yeah, well everyone's scared of Chuck E. Cheese, but no one really made anything about it. So they made a robot horror Chuck E. Cheese and slapped it on the game. Bob's your uncle, giving us this new environment that has things that we've never really seen before in a food chain pizzeria that's scary. We've never seen a piece of media like that before, but we've all been to a Chuck E. Cheese where we're creeped out by the animatronics or we're at Disneyland where the animatronics are weird. So we can kind of relate to it on a certain extent. And then you actually get in there, and it's a rundown pizzeria. It's dark. It's grimy. It's weird. The phone guy's making it weirder. It's scary as hell because you get to watch them come to you. It's possession. It's ghosts. It's hitting a lot of different points in its simplicity. But with all of that eeriness, you allow the Let's Player to give a lot of reaction. And when the jump scare happens, it's a hit. It's a, it's a oh... It's build up, build up, build up, follow through, and then you restart the whole cycle. So it was very, very effective online when it was brand new. It still is, but that's just kind of like how jump scare games worked, but adding the new location and the new mechanic of not being able to go around anywhere is what made it super popular. Now, how the hell does this relate to storytelling? Storytelling... In FNAF 1 was so limited, the main main story was that someone murdered kids and stuffed those kids inside of the animatronic suits. And because now that they're stuffed there, the animatronics are possessed by the spirits of the kids and are now coming at you because they're ghosts. There was no, there was no Puppet, there was no William Afton, there was no missing kids incident, there was nothing. There was a loose thread of The Bite of 87, which was to add a little bit of suspense on like night two, I think, or night one. That's like, oh, things bad have happened before, that might happen to me. That was the entire reason I mentioned The Bite of 87. Scott Coffin did not have that done yet. Scott Coffin's the creator of FNAF, if you didn't know that. I'll be referring to him by name because I feel like I know him, even though I don't know what he looks like. So, boom, NAF comes out, and it's new and exciting and all this stuff's going on, right? Scott Cawthon, and I talked about this on my TikTok and a short little one-off thing. Scott Cawthon made Five Nights at Freddy's as his last-ditch effort to make a successful video game he made uh christian learning games i'm pretty sure and he got very negative reviews they weren't popular no one was playing them and one of the key comments that was made on one of his later games or the game right before five nights at freddy's was they all look like scary animatronics you see how it's funny it's funny because he took the exact thing that they said he was doing, right? And he made it the entire experience. If you're already doing something that's obviously effective because people are trashing you on it. If you're trying to make a Christian game and everyone say it's scary robots, make a scary robot game. That's exactly what he did. So when he made the 3D models for everything, he made them very effective. This was supposed to be his last game. He had been trying to make games for years without no, without any success. None of them took off. Very, very bad reviews. And now his game that I don't even think it's a full gigabyte blows up beyond anything anyone could have expected. This is during the times of Slenderman, Right where you're going around collecting pages, and we hit you in the face with Five Nights at Freddy's. Boom! No one knows what's going on. And yeah, you can contribute some of its success to um, channels like uh, Game Theory, Markiplier, and all the hundreds of other people who played Five Nights at Freddy's and how just reactive the game was. But in its base, the game was popular, one, because of the mechanics, two, because of the jump scares, and just the scariness of it, the difficulty of it, but three, because of the unknowns of the game. You had people continuously watching content because no one knew what the hell was going on, and it's not like we had a lot of time to figure it out. November 11th, game two comes out, right? Game three comes out March 2nd of 2015, so four more months later, the third game comes out. We don't even get a full year of FNAF 1 being a unbelievable hit. And then we have two more games on top of it, right? And I think that's in large part because of the success of the first one and how Scott Cawthon didn't have any success in the previous ones. How small the game it was to actually just like to have made. But then July 23rd, 2015, the fourth game comes out. So then another four or five months comes out. And it's just, it's non-stop. It's boom, 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 boom. Compared to some games that take two years to actually develop and get out, five years to actually get out, this guy drops five games on us in the span of a year. And it was brand new. No one had ever done it before. By the time the fourth game came out, there was a bunch of fan games, yes. But the story the story of FNAF 1 is not the story of FNAF that we know today. It's not even the story of FNAF, of um, Five Nights at Freddy's 2, 3, 4, Sister Location, none of them. Because Five Nights at Freddy's was supposed to be a standalone title. It was the last mock game to say, hey, if you think my characters are scary animatronics, here's a game where there's actual scary animatronics. And then it blows up. FNAF 2 is released. FNAF 2 is the first game in the series to tackle the lore head on. Ta- tackle the actual story. What's happening. What happened to the kids. Who's the killer. The ramifications of it. All of it starts in the second game. Not even talking about the game mechanics. Because that's not what we're trying to focus on. Which were Revolution. I can talk all day about those. But. The story of two gives us the story of the missing children. William Afton, who we didn't even know was named William Afton. We knew him as the purple guy. And the purple guy stabbed kids a lot. And there was a lot of dead kids. Because there's a lot of animatronics. Right. So, in the whenever you would die or lose the game or whatever, sometime, sometimes... Sometimes... You would get these mini-games where you're being led by the puppet, who is um, one of the unique characters in 2. And you're being led by them, and there's cryptic messages and all these other things. But that's the strength of Five Nights at Freddy's in the early days. In the early days, this is the strength. As the games have developed and changed companies and you know, kind of grown into a monster of what it once was... In the form of, like, there's a lot more going on. The strength that Five Nights at Freddy's had was that it didn't answer every question. But for every question it did answer, it gave us two more questions. One of the biggest early mysteries of the story is, who is Purple Guy? Why did he do this? All this kind of stuff. What's going on with Golden Freddy? Really? Really? That's kind of the two big ones. What's, like, what happened? Because obviously you know that Purple Guy killed the kids, right? But it's what happened. What were the series of events that led to it? What's, what's the tale, you know? A lot of it is just explaining what he did to the victims. The kind of conclusion of the story, at least we thought, um, wrapped up in the third game. So the first one was used as plainly as the unknowns and questions and speculation and mystery, right? In his, if you look at it overall of the first three games, cause it's kind of like the first era, um, the first game can be used as purely unknowns and questions. Second game, you start to answer some of the questions. You start to answer questions like who killed the kids? What was he doing in the pizzeria? How did he get into the pizzeria? How did he get to the kids? What did he do with the bodies? And what's going on now? What? Who are we playing as? What's our role in this? Are we connected to them in any way? Why would we be here if we're putting ourselves in danger? We have to be connected to the events somehow. Third game comes in. We went from game one having four animatronics with a secret fifth to game two having around like seven or eight or ten animatronics. All with unique things, no doors, all that. Game three, there's one animatronic. That's it. That's all you need to worry about. Everything else is a phantom. And it's the killer. It's the main guy. If you play each game back to back, it feels like a final boss of a game. Because the only monster or robot animatronic in the game is the purple guy who we don't even, we don't know that to start out with. You got to remember, we didn't have all of these answers. We didn't have all these explanations that we have now from games like Sister Location, from games like Pizzeria Simulator, or even Security Breach on, on certain aspects. We didn't have that. We had unknowns from the first game some loose information from the second game and now in the third game we're shown this thing that has a skeleton inside of it what's going on there we have more mini games after deaths we have secrets that we can unlock by uh, typing into the walls or clicking on certain things throughout all the cameras and we're like leading them around with audio files it's weird it's creepy We can see jawbones and shins coming out of the the arms. And the more minigames games you play, you notice patterns and there's um, certain things happening. You bring cake to spirit kids and even to get the good ending because you play through Five Nights, whatever, you get the bad ending. It says bad ending. And you have all of these helmets that aren't lit up. You get the good ending and all the... Lights are lit up, and it's like, oh, wait, no, bad ending. Lights are lit. uh Good ending. The lights aren't lit, so like the souls are released. Because if you do everything right and you play through the game, you play through the normal game, and there's mandatory uh, mini games each night. The final night when you beat it, you get the mini game. It's not really a mini game. You kind of walk through the, p- the pizzeria, and You're being led by um, a Freddy or something. And the final night, you're a spirit. You're one of the spirits of the kids of the original core animatronics from the first game. And you go and you kind of jump William Afton. If you saw the movie, this is what this is. And he's still in the pizzeria. And he runs away from the ghosts. He's scared. And he's chased and he puts on the spring lock suit that he used... To kill the kids and because of the rain that night and he was like not being careful the spring lock set and kill him but we never see him actually die so it's kind of like oh yeah we won and then the spirits of the kids released and it's a nice little bow on top of the whole thing and then night four comes out or game four comes out and we're a small kid and more questions more questions more answers more answers the cycle continues but as far as the first era of that that's what that was and it was phenomenal and that brings us to help wanted Two, where we're dealing with ai vanny masks and helpy bots and virtual reality and i'm all for it i watch it all i watch Mark Play it, I watch uh, map play it on GT Live and I'm still very into the community. It's just that it's not the original trilogy and so it's it's very like it's very con. it's it's just a lot to get into It was a lot before but now especially it is quite the beast to overcome if you're looking to talk about story because it's doing a lot of things at once and it's using a lot of different tools that the first ones didn't use like audio logs uh secret texts in security breach specifically there's you there's a thing where you can get emails from different workers and the continuation of the story of just adding stuff on and adding stuff on uh can be daunting and there are things that you can see kind of set up in the first three games that pay off in later games like um, sister location where it's still like a story of a family and the continuation of us. but FNAF as a whole really resonated with me more because of how intense the story was. It was an intriguing story, even though you already knew what happened, you wanted to see, you wanted to see what happened. You wanted to know, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt what happened the souls of the kids getting saved and the workings of just this monster of a guy who was horrible beyond anything else. It it really introduced me to horror as a legitimate genre and not just something that was all jump scares and body horror and gore and just bad things. Now you had something that was eerie. It was unsettling. It was intriguing beyond anything else. And really for that reason it it kind of told me, "Hey, like there's something here. There's there's an actual utilization of horror when it comes to telling stories." And this was way before I even knew that I wanted to be a writer or anything, but I was still very appreciative of movies and games and the story in them. I always discredited horror. And now I had a perfectly clear example of something that I'm very much a a fan of. That shows me, hey, horror can be used in such a way that it's not that it's just scary We can be scary and intriguing. We can be scary while telling a narrative. And it works. And it doesn't cheapen anything. Because it's not just the jump scares. It's not just the brutalization of children utilizing that part of our brain that wants to protect children. It's a story of innocence. It's a story of family. It's a story of losing oneself in their work. And hurting those around us in vengeful ways, and it was a very big part of my life, and it, it, you know, it still is something that I follow closely, but definitely set me on that mindset of you can you can utilize each genre in its own way, and it showed me a really good way to utilize horror and thriller aspects when telling a story. If you are online a lot and you've been on the internet for a while, I don't know who still says that, but you might know something called the SCP foundation. Even I'm not a thousand percent sure on what it is, but I'm like 85% sure it's an online project, not really a project, but a collection of stories within this universe called the SCP Foundation universe, or whatever you want to call it, where people can give entries of monsters or entities into the official documentation of the SCPs. And the whole point of it is that there's this company or this uh, organization or this foundation that secure, contains, and protects... What they deem SCPs. And so each entry or each monster or each being, whatever you want to call it, is labeled with a number. So this is SCP 001. This is SCP 002. And thus forth. I think they're at like 4,000 now. But it's such a big community that there's this narrative going on in the background, for one. You have, this is really something for people who love stories, but are also really into like military role play, organization role play, where you're pretending like you're part of this company with official language, with uh, cover-ups and just unique ways of telling the story that make it very, very scary because the main part of it is supposed to be freaky. It's supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be eerie. And it goes about it in certain ways. But if you don't know about it, I highly recommend checking it out, especially if you like things like FNAF or just like storytelling in general. Sorry, I'm fixing my sock really quick. I know you can see me leaning down now, but there's things called joke SCPs where it's just... Like a funny, like, oh, you put a sock on and then it it gets another sock and it sports another sock and then it spawns another sock on top of that sock. But they're not supposed to be serious. Um, You have... I should clarify. It's not that every SCP is supposed to be this gruesome horror monster. It's just that it can be, it's an anomaly that the, the foundation is containing, securing, or protecting. Securing, containing, or protecting. So, there's a class system for each entity, or each anomaly, where it's like a ranking of like, hey, this is safe, this is dangerous, this is like a God-level threat. There's rankings amongst the organization. There's task force within the organization. There's council called the O5 Council. There's... Uh, Continuity between uh, dimension hopping, uh, time stream warping, and certain characters keep reoccurring like certain doctors or uh, members of a task force that play into the stories of each SCP because they can coincide with each other. There's a lot of SCPs that will be like, here's the debrief. Here's special things to look at. We ran experiments on something over here, over here, and we introduced it to SCP blank blank blank, and it did this. So it feels like an organic actual company. Thus, there are some people that had the amazing idea of turning it into a podcast fuel where they'll just read it. They'll just read the entries and they'll title it properly, and they'll give all the credit and stuff. But when they read it, it they they'll add like special effects to it. They'll add like this eerie music behind it. and it's really an immersive experience. so if you if you don't have any place to start out, this is how I started out getting into it. Look up SCP Archives. It's on Spotify. Also the SCP Foundation. I'm a bigger fan of the SCP, SCP Foundation because of how true to form it is. But if you look on SCP archives, they're much more theatrical with every entry. They don't do every single one. That's like one through 5,000 or whatever. They'll do the ones that they can best tell a narrative off of, add certain things. They'll have voice actors in it that play out scenes depicted in the initial entry on the actual SCP foundation. I don't know if it's a website. I don't know if it's a subreddit. I'm sure you could find that out really quick. I could as well, but I have things to talk about. It's it's just a very fun place to be at if you're into analytical things, storytelling, and above all, horror monsters, classifications of us, and just kind of like to nerd out about things. It's it's a place it's a place for people who like to nerd out it, it kind of it falls in line with the same aspects of Five Nights at Freddy's community because, or I should say the community that's really into the mysteries and the storytelling stuff because it's all stories. so it's, it's just a giant writing project with a bunch of random people who've never met each other, but are all interested in the same types of things. Those one-off indie games that are just terrifying. The, If you remember what Siren Head is, people want that to be an SCP, but they're not allowing it to be. In line with all those kind of indie horror games, uh, Amnesia The Dark Descent, I'm pretty sure it was an SCP game. SCP Containment Breach, the video game, is an awesome game. If you know about a little thing called Lethal Company, if you like Lethal Company, and you like the idea of there being a corporation that... Is actively uh, having to manage monsters and creatures and just weird freaking entity things in a very organized way, like you're at work. SCP is for you. It is so up your alley. It's not even funny because Lethal Company, I don't know if it's officially an SCP thing. When I first saw the gameplay of it, I was hyped that there was a new SCP game because I had been getting into it. I know some of the people now, but it's like in scp they'll have monsters if you take your eyes off of them they'll come over and snap your neck people that can move stuff with their mind monsters that kind of just run at you and try to kill you things that take over bodies and you know there's a there's the mimic in the lethal company games so i um, i don't know if it's exactly an scp game or it's based off of the scp foundation but it is an amazing place to go to if you like lethal company if you see me turning over here it's because i have my notepad right here and um yeah no just genuinely if you're into scp well if you're into lethal company you'll be into scp if you love that kind of deep rich uh lore or just information writing uh that you could also get from games like fnaf and stories like uh five nights at freddy's but if you want something more current though the spike of popularity for this title is kind of it's kind of fallen off a little bit but i think it was sometime last year very very big iron lung if you haven't heard of it if you haven't watched any gameplay of it go do that it is in the same way that Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's was a new take on the genre. Iron Lung is a new take on exploratory horror where it utilizes the lack of information and the importance of information in such a way that is just mind-boggling. It puts you in a submarine with a ton of lore. It's a ton of background knowledge, and it's horrifying. It's like... I mean, t- I'll give you the baseline of it. I'm not going to get into it just so you get, can get surprised when you go and watch the, those videos of it. You're in an ocean of blood. Blood. And you're sent by some company, foundation, whatever, because you're a prisoner. You're sent down in this submarine they call the Iron Lung. And you're sent down there to take photos of certain areas. But it's an ocean of blood. There's not supposed to be any fish. What can live down there? That's the question. And so you go down. And the first few things that you take pictures of, because all you can see are the things that you take pictures of. You travel based off of coordinates at a map with certain pings on it. And when you reach a certain location, you're supposed to take a picture, run over to this monitor, and then look at the picture. And that's where the horror comes in. And it's such like a nice little stream of... Uh, cause and effect and it forces you to do certain things but the further along you go the more things you start to notice like there's tubes coming out of the bottom of the ocean there's like you see like a fin at certain points and you're like whoa what's that you're traveling along and you hear something like slam into the side of the submarine you approach something that's glowing and then you get teleported across the map it's crazy it's awesome look into it And here's why I'm telling you to look into it. It's because uh, Markiplier, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's making a movie based off of Iron Lung. He's making an Iron Lung movie called Iron Lung. And I'm pretty sure it's because the guy who made Iron Lung is his editor. So he's obviously just working with him on it. But from what I've heard about it on the Distractable podcast, and just the teaser trailer is out. I'll leave a link in the description for that. If you love horror and thriller and kind of deep, rich storytelling with this, with a rich lore behind it, um, I highly recommend looking at any one of these titles because Iron Lung, I know I I talked the least on, but there's, you can tell by certain entries and notes you can find in the submarine that hint at a larger lore to it. Like when you first boot up the game, it talks about how everyone left Earth, and now resources and outer space are dwindling, and it's kind of a race to who can find any sort of food or water. And you're a prisoner, and you're sent out to explore an ocean of blood on one of the moons but this isn't the first time this has happened this isn't the first body of blood that's been found and so it it off the rip it has this kind of deep lore to it that you just want to know about just like fnaf just like the scp foundation and so my friends i think it's as good a time as any for a page reader prompt i mean i've been going for a little bit now So today's page eater prompt is the first of a new format I'm doing for the page eater prompts, right? I'm doing one a week and that's to let people have time to, well, well, one, to let people have time to actually submit things. I know it can take more than a few days to actually write out a good short story or just a good chunk of writing or, you know what I'm trying to say. It, it takes time to make a piece of writing that you want to submit and actually put into a competition, which is what the pager to prompts are. So every Monday podcast, cause I post on Monday and I post on Thursday, every Monday podcast, we'll be giving out the pager to prompts and the next Monday podcast will be going over them and we'll be discussing them more. Well, not going over them, going over who won, because if you go on TikTok. You can find the episode 13 page to prompt that corresponds with this episode because it's episode 13 and you can duet using just big chunks of text or you're telling us to go to a certain video on your page or however you want to work it. Just duet it to that video because that's where I'm looking when I'm going over everyone's entries and yes, I'm the only judge. But there is no genre specificity to the page reader prompts. There's nothing like that. It's just prompts that I give out to my community, to you guys, that allow you to kind of stretch your creative legs if you're in a rut, and share it, maybe win, and get your name shouted out on that podcast. Now, unfortunately, I don't have any to share with this one, but hey... Maybe next week I'll have plenty of people to actually go for. If you are a writer and you want a little side project, it doesn't have to be anything crazy like a thousand words or a thousand pages or whatever. But just a, a short little story or a continuation of the prompt um is good enough for it. So it's really a low stakes thing, low pressure thing. And I enjoy making them for you guys. So I hope you enjoy writing them. So without further ado, Here is episode 13, page ear prompt. A serial killer breaks into the house of another serial killer who has been retired for many years. And the old-timer can't help but critique the newbie's form in uh, how they go about a lot of different things. And whether they become friends whether it's like a kind of a big fight of wits it's a battle of old versus new it's a battle of morality outlook reasoning it can be whatever you want those are just a few uh, pushes in different directions that i can see it going it could also just be a big fight scene who knows that is the page you prompt please do whatever you want with it please subvert expectation or feed into it I I just love to read what you guys send uh in for the page of prompts. Uh yeah. So hopefully you guys have fun with that. It is on my TikTok at eat the blank page. And it won't be on my YouTube, but it is on my TikTok. And just do edit. It'll be perfectly fine. So yeah. Oh also I'm keeping uh the news segments for Thursday. So instead of having news uh Monday and Thursday, it's news once a week on Thursday. And Patriot Prompts once a week on Mondays. And I think it'll just be better. And it won't be uh, so much to swallow every week. So, yeah. But expect another podcast on Thursday. Very excited for that one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, guys. Please leave a like, share, comment, subscribe, follow. Whatever on podcast, whatever uh, podcast platform that you're viewing this on. I'm glad you guys joined me. I'm glad you guys stayed for this long. It's very, very impressive. Uh, that you would uh, actually listen to me for that one. But uh, <laughs> hey, uh, that's the whole point. I hope everyone has a wonderful day and uh, goodbye. I will see you on the next one.